Well, we want to welcome all the guests here for the baptisms. We're in the middle of a sermon series that's going to last all the way till Easter, where we're going to talk about the greatest class ever given by the greatest teacher ever, Jesus. And the class is the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in the books of Matthew and Luke. And the series title is The Upside Down Kingdom. I'll get to that in just a minute. But to help us study it, the very first week, we pass these out. This is the Gospel of Matthew on one side and a journal for you to take notes on the other. We have guests and people coming and going, and those of you who may have lost it, we, uh, we would like to just, if you would raise your hand, if you don't have one, just raise your hand, and the ushers are in every aisle, and they'd love to make sure that you have the chance to come along with us. The upside-down kingdom is chosen on purpose because it doesn't make sense. He's trying to talk about how we live the good life, the life blessed by God, and it seems like it's just the opposite. One of the commentaries on this is a man named N.T. Wright, an Englishman, and, and he says he didn't understand the kingdom of God or the Sermon on the Mount until he saw an old 1950s movie about breaking the sound barrier. Remember when Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier and people were afraid that if he went faster than the speed of sound, the plane would fall apart and everybody would die? Well, many attempts were made, and this is what it looks like. It looks like magic to us. But in the movie, they discovered that you could only survive if as you went through the sound barrier, you started to do everything the opposite of the way you'd done it on the other side. You pulled up to go down. You pulled left to go right. And if you wanted to go home, you had to go home by the new rules rather than the other because the old rules weren't good anymore. That's why we call this the upside-down kingdom. I'd like us to read together the first part of this that set the tone for all the lessons that are lying ahead. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't start out with, you got to be good or you're going to die. Do this, that, and the other thing and you're okay. Watch out for this, that, and the other kind of people. It starts out with God saying, I want to bless you. No, no, I really want to bless you. Today, God wants to bless you. It may not be the way that you think. You may not get the $1.6 billion lottery, but God wants to bless you. So why don't we read together about the blessings that God has in store for us. You respond in the bold print. The Gospel of Matthew says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth. He took a deep breath, and he taught them, saying... Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. You are being invited to join the kingdom that will last forever. But it's a different kind of kingdom by a different kind of king. An upside down kingdom, talking about the rules of a new king and the great reversal. So it's no longer about defeating your enemies, but about forgiving them. It's, it's not anymore in the kingdom of heaven about getting to the top of the mountain, but staying and serving those who are stuck at the bottom of the mountain and can't get up. It's not about living the good life divined, defined by Instagram, but it's instead learning to sense the presence and the love of God when you mourn a different kind of kingdom. We're going to focus on one of those blessings today, and I'd like you to hear it read by you. What would it sound like today? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the advocates, those who see the needs of the poor, and suffering and marginalized and seek to change their circumstances. Blessed are those who inconvenience themselves to help others. Blessed are those who engage cross-culturally and seek to right the wrongs of prejudice and racism. For by helping the least of these, they grow closer to Jesus. For by helping the least of these, for by helping the least of these, for by helping the least of these, they grow closer to Jesus. So blessed are you. But I got to tell you, as I read through it, this is the scariest of the blessings of Jesus. For a couple reasons. He makes pretty clear that if you don't satisfy your hunger and your thirst, if you don't eat or drink, you starve. Whether it's your body or your soul, you starve. And the other part that's maybe even a little more scary is that Jesus makes pretty clear that we become what we eat. We become what we eat. And Jesus says what you need most to eat is righteousness. Jesus says what fills the famished soul and And the heart is righteousness. But what is righteousness? It's a big word. Matter of fact, it's such a big word in the original Hebrew and Greek that we have two different words for it now. It's sometimes justice and sometimes righteousness. The same word is expressed. So I've I've asked Steve if he would help you to hear what it sounds like, righteousness. And I'll just sort of play along with it. Because I, I, I believe that righteousness begins in the Bible with the idea that it's heavenly. Righteousness is a gift from heaven. That we who are broken and flawed and sinful can't jump up to heaven, so God has to come down and through Jesus forgive us. And not just wash us clean on the outside, but start to look at us like the children of God. He makes us right with God, heavenly righteousness. 
The Apostle Paul saw that the most clearly. He said it sounds like this. Just one note over and over that says it's God. It's a gift. He says it's by grace that you're saved through faith so that nobody can brag. Righteousness is heavenly, a gift. But then righteousness becomes internal. It comes inside you. That grace of God says, I'm not through with you yet. I didn't bring you here just to save you. I, wanna, I want to help you become what you're meant to be. I want you to become a righteous person. So righteousness is internal. It sounds different. It's like when the prodigal son returns, he gets grace, but he also has to learn to live by the rules of the house. He has to become a generous person and a forgiving person and someone with integrity and someone with humility. And we start to call that person, they look righteous. They look like they're living the right way. Here's where the church messes it up. Too often that turns into being self-righteous. You get just a little better and you start to look at other people and you see the bad in them and you become self-righteous. Christians are known not as the loving people but often as the judgmental people. I love Beth Moore. She taught this week, we children of God were meant to be famous for our mercy, not our judgment. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. This isn't an Instagram post. It's a command. Is that the way people think of Christians today? Righteousness has been reduced to being mean, to being judgmental to other people, and meanness is never a ministry. Holy is not holier than thou. It's becoming whole, it's becoming holy, it's not holier than thou. So you've got heavenly righteousness that makes us right with God, internal righteousness that makes us the kind of people that are children of God. And then the Bible talks a lot about righteousness as justice. That, that is, that, that when you see the world through God's eyes, you want to go out and make the broken parts of the world healed and make the evil in the world stop. And if God is rescuing his people, you want to get on the team. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is at the door of wanting to do something about it. About seeing a broken world and being a doer of the gospel. So some of you today need to be righteous and receive God's gift. Others of you would like more of what it's like to have God inside you helping you become gentle and compassionate and humble. And others of you need to be challenged to become the kind of righteous person who sees evil and says, no. God says, no. So which one is Jesus talking about here? Well, let me give you a hint. At the last blessing, he's going to say, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I do not think that many persecuted, many people are persecuted because they've become gentle or because they've become patient. Nobody gets persecuted for becoming humble 
Nobody is persecuted because they start to tell the truth. People become persecuted when they look at the world and say, this is not right. And when you put all those righteous elements together, it sounds like this. It sounds like the gift of God that's supposed to go out into the world. So Jesus has made us right before God. He's come to fill us up so that we can live the right way. And he sends us out to bring his righteousness to a broken world. Thanks, Steve. So, I think that's the one that Jesus is talking about, the just society. And when we think about that, sometimes we think about an image of uh, justice. If I said, in your mind, you have a picture of one man standing alone in the middle of Tiananmen Square, and there's a tank coming right at him. How many of you remember that picture? It was powerful. That's someone who says, this is wrong, it should not stand. That's righteousness. And often, it is portrayed in our world as speeches that are powerful and marches and posters and letters to Congress, all of which are really important. It's how we get systemic justice, justice for a whole society. As a matter of fact, Gary Haugen and his group, the International Justice Mission, just celebrated 20 years of bringing justice to poor people all around the world through your help. We are their partners. Gary preached from this place and 10 years ago challenged me, challenged us about what it meant to be righteous. He, he said, for now, God seems to have left the justice issue up to us. Down the road, he's going to take care of it. But for now, justice seems up to us. God has a plan to fight injustice, and that plan is us. God's plan is us, and God doesn't seem to have a plan B. We, the people of God, are called to bring justice in a lot of different ways. But for the first follower of Jesus, that way was not primarily placards, social justice tweets, agreeing with this partisan political position or that because that was a different society. You didn't write letters to the emperor saying, would you consider doing this? Instead, you were called to live quiet lives that showed the values of the kingdom of God. So early Christians were not so much revolutionaries as they lived a revolutionary life. Early followers of Jesus followed him, and so they started to take care of the poor. They started to heal the sick. They began to see the losers nobody else saw, and their sacrificial lives were so different that the Romans started to refer to the Galileans. That's how they called Christians. They referred to the Galileans as the third race. They're not like us. And for centuries, even though Christians are in the minority, the way they care for the poor gives them this huge cultural authority. That authority shines out as much with people who hate Christianity as who go for it. The last of the pagan emperors is Justinian. He's actually called Justinian the Apostate. And he, I'm sorry, Julian the Apostate. And Julian writes a letter to the heads of the pagan temples. And he says, this has got to stop. And he talks about 
the Christians. And this is what he says. These impious Galileans, remember he thinks their piety is wrong, these impious Galileans not only feed their own, but ours too, welcoming them with their love. They attract them as children are attracted to cakes. Whilst pagans Priests neglect the poor. These hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. And by a display of false compassion, they lead others to their pernicious errors. Such practice is common among them. This is the way you're supposed to live. Commonly. Different. Such practice is common among them and causes contempt for our gods. The real God shows up. So, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is he talking about justice, or is he talking about righteousness? And the answer is yes. It's both. It's both and. Probably we should say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they will be filled. What does that look like today? Back in Julian's time, it, it was different. Back then, when the neighbors got sick from the plague and everybody ran out of town because that's how you survive the plague, the Christians would go back into town and they'd take care of the dying and they'd bury the dead. And many of them would get sick. When the Romans would take infants that they could not afford or girl babies and put them out on the garbage dumps in the city at night, the Christians would come out and bring them into their homes as children of God. What does that hunger for righteousness look like today? Uh, can, I, can I just suggest to you that there are as many different ways to hunger and thirst for righteousness as there are people here? We all have different tastes, don't we? I love salmon and steak. For some reason, you like kale. I, I love French fries. Jesus made French fries, and you like lima beans. We all have different ways of expressing this, but some of them are common. Those who are learning to eat righteousness are generous to the poor. Like our special offering last week for the Indonesians that nobody seems to care about. Certainly those who hunger for righteousness speak up for values of the kingdom. They are not partisan Republicans. They are not wild-eyed Democrats. They are saying, this is not what God wants. This is what God wants against the brutal, often coarse power of this world. But most important, you who hunger for righteousness and justice, most important, it's a daily presence. It's eyes that start to see people who are hurting around you. It's sitting with poor people instead of looking the other way. It's, it's mourning with the ones who weep. I loved with that little video of an updated what does it look like. Remember Elizabeth, the high school kid, she says, blessed are those who are inconvenienced. I think that's what hungry for righteousness is, to allow myself to be inconvenienced to live a different way than others around us. So our friend Tom, who was in the last service over here, 
Tom and Dave start to go to prisons here in Minnesota and ask if they could teach people to read. And, and Laura sees street workers who are children and joins an organization to stop the abuse of sex trafficking. And Marty, who was in the last service sitting right there, Marty goes to the Ukraine and uses his dental skills to operate on the mouths of Ukrainians who have AIDS because their doctors are afraid to. Wow, that's big. But it doesn't need to be big. A hunger for righteousness means that some of you have joined the Needlepoint Guild. And you come here together and you make little hats and gloves for children who would be cold otherwise. Chuck and Kitty go to Tanzania and they're building a hospital. But just as important are our high school kids who help with the mosaic service. You know, that's our service for the kids who are disadvantaged, who are retarded or different. And they meet with them and they hold them up. They read with them so they can read. They sing with them so they can sing. And they sit down at the end of the service wondering, who's really the crippled one here? And they have seen justice. There is a group of people in our church who take all those connect cards and pray for them all through the month and pray for our leaders in Congress and pray for our enemies in other countries and pray that God's justice will come. A lot of different ways. What's yours? If you want to be blessed by God, what's what's yours? What unites a uh, middle-aged black man and a white son of one of the wealthiest families in America. They grew up at very different tables, at the same time in very different tables, but they grew to love the same food. They grew hungry for the same thing. You'd recognize one of them in an instant. This was his cry. He said, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. The words of Amos, they go together. And blessed are you when you are persecuted, he was killed. This rich white kid had a second conversion a couple of years before Dr. King was killed, and after having walked the halls of power of the White House, started to go to the barrios of Los Angeles and to the reservations of Native Americans and to the hollers of the Alleghenies and say, where have you people been all of my life? And talk about if justice is denied to one, it's denied to all. We must do better. And like Dr. King, he was killed. The junior senator from New York, Robert Kennedy, was killed. And at his funeral, his brother said this, My brother need not be idealized or enlarged in death ahead of what he was in life. You ever been to a funeral like that? You go to the funeral and they're starting to talk about this glowing saint person. You go, I must be in the wrong room. He said, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. But to be remembered simply as a good and decent man who saw wrong and tried to right it, who saw suffering and tried to heal it, who saw war and tried to stop it. 
those of us who loved him, and those of us who take him to his rest today, pray that what he was to us and what he wished for others will someday come to pass for all the world. The kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom. That's on the national stage. You, you won't have that experience. But what would you like your legacy to be? When people talk about you, do they say, oh, when she enters the room, things get better. When he comes, I feel like hope is there. I, uh, I love the fact that we did the, the baptisms this morning. It's a sign from generation to generation. And, uh, and yet I, I have the privilege of doing funerals up here too, and, and it makes me think about my own. Someday, Lord willing, someday my girls are going to speak at my funeral and I would like them to read from the book of Job. Really? Job? Well, but remember, I don't know if you remember this part of the story. Before Job is cursed by God, boils, everybody dies, terrible to be around him, Job is a great man. And he says, remember what it was like back then? This was my legacy. Well, I'd like this to be my legacy from Job chapter 29. They all spoke well of me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless with no one to help them. The dying blessed me and I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as clothing and justice as my turban. For I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I love this last part. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked. I snatched the victims from their teeth. Wouldn't you like to have somebody say that about you? Wouldn't you like to bless and be blessed like that? Blessed are those of you today who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, for you will be filled by the King of Heaven. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my sisters and brothers and friends here. I, I thank you from the youngest to the oldest that each one of us in our different ways are given the chance to bring life where there is death and hope where there is fear and healing where there is pain. May we hunger for your justice in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, amen.